0: lock your doors, close the blinds, change your passwords. This is the Dry Cleaner Cast. Welcome to the Dry Cleaner Cast, a podcast that takes a new look at the war on terror, its legacy, and espionage in the 21st century. This podcast is written, edited, and presented by Chris Carr.
1: On this special episode of the Dry Cleaner cast, I'm joined by independent spy author Matt Fulton. And we discuss his book, Active Measures. If you're enjoying this show, please consider becoming a Patreon subscriber. If you go to patreon.com forward slash drycleanercast, you'll get access to new exclusive episodes just for Patreon subscribers. You'll also get early access to our interviews. And if you subscribe at over $15 a month, you'll also get a copy of the film The Dry Cleaner. Also, if you like the show, please leave a five-star review on your preferred podcast app. Every positive review or every review helps us gain more listeners. Also, if you like this podcast, you may enjoy my short film, The Dry Cleaner. The Dry Cleaner is my first attempt at spy fiction and is now available on iTunes and Amazon. All you need to do is type in The Dry Cleaner film to iTunes or Amazon and you'll see the film come up. I think it comes in about $1.99. If you become a Patreon subscriber at over $15, you will get a copy of that film included with your subscription. So, you have the choice there. And without further ado, let's get on with the episode.
0: Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this one. Opinions expressed by guests on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of the filmmakers and sponsors of the film, The Dry Cleaner
1: matt welcome to the dry cleaner cast
2: hi thanks for having me
1: great to have you on so for those unfamiliar with you and your work can you just tell us a bit about yourself
2: yeah so um i'm an uh indie author um written a couple of things that are floating around uh the biggest thing though is um this uh series of spy novels active measures mm. um the first book in the series was published uh in summer of 2016 um i've been working on the second one since then um but it's essentially a uh it's about a, a big regional war um in the middle east um and there's i think there's upwards of 500 named characters now yeah. um in the series but we follow it from a couple different perspectives on you know both sides um in Iran and Hezbollah and uh, the US intelligence community and uh yeah it's sort of a Kind of interesting how it's sort of just bloomed into this big sort of thing now.
1: Yeah, fantastic. So so originally, Active Measures, the first book was part of a trilogy, but you've expanded it to uh, a Pentology, uh, which is a trilogy of yeah. five parts. So.
2: Yeah, um, it was originally, uh, for a long time, it was um, originally a trilogy. Um, uh, I've, I think, got first got the idea for um, the story that eventually became Active Measures. Um, mm. And I was like 11 mm. so it was 2002 i think mm. um i sort of made up the first like core group of characters so jack galloway um nina davenport robert harris uh ryan freeman and david Kazanoff, and i've sort of just went with them since then um and the story sort of just evolved as i grew up um but uh Yeah, it was originally a trilogy. Um, When part one was published, it was a trilogy. Mm. Um, But recently, after you decided to, um, you know, you're just looking at how much of the plot is left to tell um, and how much you can feasibly sort of fit that in one book, it's better to just split it up into five books. Mm. So what Mm. the story that we would have covered in part two uh, will now be in part two and part three. Mm. And the story that we would have covered in part three will now be part four and part five, and I think that sort of gives me um, enough room to sort of land the plane how I want to land it. Uh, yeah, we're not rushing things.
1: Yeah. So just just to make it clear for the listeners, so what is the actual first novel about, and and where can I get that?
2: Um, so the first novel, it's on uh, Amazon. Mm-hmm. Um, you can buy it on Amazon. You can buy it a paperback. Uh, you can buy it as an ebook um but the uh, first novel picks up uh, one of the major protagonists in the series uh, Ryan Freeman um he's the newly installed director of the CIA and he finds out that um he's brought this uh, information that um a group within the Iranian government uh, sort of led by the commander of the goods Force yeah um a character named Qasim Shatari who's sort of loosely based on Qasim Soleimani um, has been secretly developing this sort of small pilot uh, nuclear program to sort of build – essentially it was a copy of a Soviet uh, small nuclear weapon that could fit inside of a essentially like a large footlocker. I don't really call it a suitcase nuke, but yeah. it's essentially of that same sort of size scale. Um, but the CIA discovers that this group of Iranians led by the commander of the Quds Force are secretly developing – this um, nuclear weapons program that the bulk of people inside Iran's security establishment are unaware of, um, and they start, uh, you know, mobilizing the U.S. intelligence community to stop it. Um, at the same time, um, in the sort of reality that we're dealing with in the world of the series, um, the Syrian civil war ended in a sort of different way. Yeah, um, The Syrian regime sort of collapsed. And um, Hezbollah, uh, sort of looking at their situation after the war, are sort of forced to um, sort of distance themselves from um, the Iranians as their, you know, backers a bit. Um, and that sort of creates a big rift uh, inside uh, Hezbollah. Yeah. Uh, and this uh, sort of shadowy figure from Hezbollah's past, his name's Ibrahim al-Din. Um, sort of comes forward and gradually starts plotting uh, a coup within Hezbollah to sort of take over the organization, and we sort of we go from there.
1: Excellent. So, what inspired like, these lead characters? You mentioned in your afterward of your book that Jack Galloway kind of been with you for some time now. So, sort of, um, are there any kind of like real figures that some of these characters are sort of inspired by? Or?
2: Um. Well, as far as the uh, there are five protagonists, mm. um, like Jack Galloway. Um, Nina Dab, well, I'll tell you a bit about each one. So Jack Galloway, uh, is a non-official cover CIA officer, um, inside of, uh, Iran, who runs, um, a sort of valuable human intelligence asset inside Tehran, who's close to the supreme leader. Hmm. Um, uh, yeah, so that's Jack. Um, Robert Harris is a, uh, SEAL, part of, um, DevGrew or SEAL Team 6. Um, and sort of, he's brought in to sort of assist Jack, uh, as the story sort of develops. Um, there's Ryan Freeman, who I said is the, um, recently appointed director of the CIA and he's sort of navigating the U S intelligence community and in that sort of bureaucracy, um, in fighting with white house staff and stuff. And there's, Anita uh, Nina Davenport who is a, uh, targeting officer, mm. um, as part of the CIA's counterterrorism center, who's based in Beirut. Um, and she's sort of the first to notice that this uh, figure inside Hezbollah, um, Ibrahim al-Din has sort of come to the surface again after, you know, 30 years of being um, dormant. Um, but they've all sort of, it's been so long that I've been carrying these characters with me. There isn't like a set uh genesis of where i got the idea for each of them you know it sort of it kind of escapes me at this point where they they came from but um i was in school one day like i said i was 11 um this was sort of right after nine eleven, you yeah. know so yeah, yeah, yeah. Sort of idea was fresh in my mind um and i just started reading uh tom clancy novels um i think i picked up some of all fears was i think the first one i read um and i tore through a couple of them in quick uh, succession and i knew that you know i i had wanted to write for a while, you know, I had written different little stories here and there, but I knew this is something that I wanted to do. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, um, wrote down those five names one day and they've just always sort of been with me and how they've, um, sort of evolved into the characters that they are now on the page. Um, it's just sort of an organic thing that, you know, it's, it's just kind of just happened over time. Mm, Random, random questions that popped into my head. Um,
1: So you were, you were 11 when 9-11 happened. Is that right? Mm, Yeah. What are your memories of that day?
2: Uh, I remember I was in the sixth grade. Yeah. Uh, I remember we weren't told exactly what happened in school. I remember being at lunch in the cafeteria and I remember a lot of people in the class just being just like picked up by their Mm. parents I'm um, like one after the other, to the extent that it was sort of like, we caught on that this was strange um, and we lived, uh, my school was right near a, uh, right near a military base in uh, New Jersey. Um, and I think that had a lot to do with people just coming to pick up their kids and stuff. And I remember like this one guy at the cafeteria said, you know, oh yeah, Saddam was crashing planes or something. And we we're 11, you know, we don't yeah, know what the yeah. hell's going on. Um, but yeah, it was just a very sort of strange thing the rest of the day and the teachers didn't really tell us much. And then when I got home, um, my mom brought me in and saw it on the TV. Um, so yeah, I was part of that generation that just sort of grew up with the, the war on terror yeah
1: yeah, yeah. no i remember what was I? I was about 20 when it happened i was in the middle of central mm-hmm. london and i got a text message from a friend of mine saying um there's a plane attacking the twin towers and in my head i had a picture of like i don't know why it was um uh king kong on the <laughs> with the biplanes <laughs> in my head was it the image yeah. it was like, and, I, and i was trying to find i was signing up for um was it a gym membership at the time of all things um and um yeah, and I remember just trying to find a television and then suddenly I just saw it and it was just like, God. And it was actually the bit I saw after the there was this news footage of the building had been hit and the, the, the camera angle was really weird because the um, the camera had sort of tilted sideways, which made it look like the building was falling sideways. I was like, what the hell, you know? And then I saw the Pentagon had been hit and that was for me. When I saw the Pentagon being hit, I thought, God this could be world war three, you know, it felt like it literally yeah. felt like a movie and it was just, yeah. I, I had a shiver down my spine the whole day. I think after that it was uh, yeah, a, yeah, very vivid day. So thank you for that. Um, so are there any sort of writers who've influenced you in your approach? So you mentioned sort of Tom Clancy. Um, yeah. And, he, and and so he, he, cause your book feels, especially the level of detail does feel very Clancy like.
2: It is. Yeah. Um, I sort of um, do everything I can to make things as accurate and as realistic as possible. Mm. Um, I don't think I go to the degree of just bringing out like the sheer amount of technical detail Mm. that Clancy does. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Um, a, you know, Clancy had a lot more contacts than I did. Um, and I'm sort of limited, you know, to what I, what I have. Um, but, uh, more so what I try to do with active measures is, and sort of this became clear to me as i was sort of finishing up the first draft of part one several years ago yeah, now yeah. um and this has been sort of what i've been trying to accomplish since then is i wanted to tell a a uh, spy novel mm. or a geopolitical thriller mm. um on the scale of like high fantasy or science fiction um so as sort of writers that influenced me in that regard you know clancy's obviously a big one um graham green uh john le carré are sort of big ones that i've grown up with um but also i mean george r r martin the writers of the the, um song of ice and fire novels Mm -hmm. that the game of thrones Mm -hmm. is based on Mm -hmm. um tolkien you know with the lord of the rings um lord of the rings was a huge influence for me when i was growing up you know right around the same time that 9 11 happened the first uh, lord of the rings movie came out and that was just like a watershed moment for me developing you know how i want to tell stories Um, so yeah, I would say that George Martin and Tolkien are as big as influences on me writing active measures as Clancy is, you know, it's really about that, um, the scale of the plot and the breadth of the characters, um, you know, like the, the settings that we're in, um, it's really about trying to just sort of tell the story on the biggest canvas possible. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Can you talk to us a bit about your, um, because again, we're talking about the level of detail in your book. Can you talk to us a bit about your mm. research process? Because I remember, I think when we first connected on Twitter, I think I remember you posting up pictures of like uh, a stack of books and maybe even some documents and uh, things yeah. like that. <laughs> I yeah. mean, t- talk <laughs> us through some of that, you know? Because there's a lot of detail in there, and it's is yeah.
2: Well, writing through part one, you know, I really didn't have a- anyone who knew this stuff mm. that I could contact. Mm. You know, so it was a lot of it was a lot of reading. Um, you know, uh, but before Google, there's no way I could have written this thing. You know, a lot of reading, a lot of Googling, a lot of, you know, just going back and finding little details that yeah. a lot of my sort of approach to research, I think comes, I think it probably starts in the outlining mm. phase, you know, like I know, like, okay, there's a scene I'm working on right now. Um, we're following a character in part two, who's a colonel in the Lebanese um, internal security forces, mm. you know? So I know, okay, that's what we're dealing with with this scene. I know sort of how I want the scene to go. Um, and then I just go through and find as much information as I possibly can mm. to sort of fill in the gaps of what I know versus what I don't yeah, know.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, and sort of just trying to make that the world in that one scene particularly feel as realized as possible. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's a lot of reading. Um, it's a lot of just sifting around online for hours on end until you find stuff. Mm. Um, and then gradually as you get better at it and you get more familiar with the material, um, you, you, when there's stuff that you don't really know, you sort of, I just have this, yeah, you, 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 you get to have this like innate sense of where you can find that information yeah, yeah. and you sort of come to realize what feels right and what doesn't. Um, and then since part one came out, it's sort of been easier for me to, you know, um, reach out to people you know in in dc and elsewhere and say look see here's my website and mm. like this real mm. human being mm. who wrote this yeah. thing he's talked to yeah me. Um, and i've been very grateful to get some help from some very uh knowledgeable subject matter experts oh fantastic
1: so. fantastic yeah yeah no it's it's the thing it's so important to um have a, a physical thing, I remember when starting this podcast i um i I sought out people I kind of knew on a personal basis first, so I could get those initial episodes so then you can use them mm-hmm. as proof of concept to other people who you don't know, just so you can kind of get that access to people and it's uh yeah no it's very helpful um one other thing because iran um with your books Iran plays a massive role in your story. Have you found yeah. real worlds of real world events that kind of forced your hand a little bit as a storyteller or <laughs> Because <laughs> um, I, I find that sometimes of the work I've been doing. <laughs>
2: uh, it's been stressful at times. Um, there's been a few moments where uh, I think it happened at least once or twice when I was writing part yeah. one. And then it's happened a couple of times as I've been writing part two where, you know, stuff that I've um, been planning in the book actually sort of happened in real life or a version of it came close to happening. Um, and you have to adapt in this certain way. You know, I'm pretty close with uh, Stephen England, who's another um, indie author mm-hmm. over here in the mm-hmm. States, who uh, um, he, he's written a pretty big series so far of, uh, you know, spy novels and stuff. Um, and so like something will happen and I'll sort of just email him or message him to sort of venting like, oh, my, I don't know what the hell I'm going to do now, <laughs> you know, with this plot. Yeah. Um, and he's been good at sort of reminding me, like, since you have part one out now, you sort of exist in your own self-contained universe you know where you don't have to sort of worry about that stuff as much um but not to sort of spoil as much but with this uh with the prologue for part two that'll uh be out now when this episode is released um something happens in this prologue uh that um a version of it happened in real life Mm. at the beginning of the year (laughs) um not to spoil much but i i I had a very early draft of this chapter done, um, when I, uh, when that happened and there was a few days of me just sort of just sitting around just numb, like, okay, I don't know how to deal with this now. Um, but yeah, it's 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 interesting how that happens that way. Yeah, um, yeah, it can be stressful.
1: Yeah, it keeps us on our toes, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh dear! Well, I, I end up with my film. I resorted to just making my own terrorist organization up um, and sort of based it on a yeah. few real things, but it was completely my own. So, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah it, It's better to do that. Just steer as far in your own way as possible. Oh well, yeah,
1: yeah, because it makes it hard. But I was I was
2: watching. Um, have you seen the Bureau?
1: Uh, the French show. Uh
2: no I have not. I've heard good I've heard good things yeah, though, but I haven't, I just, I haven't seen it. I
1: that. literally just started yesterday thanks to the coronavirus and having <laughs> a bit of time on right. my hands. And uh I mean meaning to watch this show for years and it's brilliant. And it actually weirdly does remind me a bit of your novel. Um, but also um what's interesting is how they really hook into real things like the war in Syria and um, Bashar mm-hmm. al-Assad and all those kind of things. And it, I, I just thought it was quite brave of them in a way because it's really hard to do that with fiction because you kind of run that risk of um, people confusing your story of reality and vice versa and, uh, and, and also world events, like if there was a cliffhanger involving Assad and then real world, I don't know, Assad gets you know taken out and then a whole new regime comes in by the time you get your second series out your your show feels a bit dated you know
2: <laughs> yeah i've i've dealt with that a bit in mm. in writing the mm. book so there's um chapter five in part mm. one in the first book in the series uh that was one of the last things i wrote before it before the book was published mm. um and i knew how i knew how i you know when when the book begins the Syrian civil war has it's it ended about nine months ago. Mm. I say ended in, in in air quotes, you know, because um, it's still smoldering quite mm. a bit. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, I knew that the Syrian civil war ended about nine months before this story begins. Um, and in chapter five, there's a scene where I just sort of walk the reader through the ending of the Syrian civil war in the world of active measures, mm. like how it sort of went down. Um, And essentially, there was a big – well, ISIS was decapitated, um, and that sort of created a power struggle within ISIS. uh, And there was a a sort of mid-level commander who wanted to take control of the organization who launched this big terrorist attack in Istanbul, and sort of that triggered a big Turkish invasion of Syria, um, and that sort of led to the collapse of the Syrian regime. Mm -hmm. This is in the world of active measures, of course, not real life. Um, but so I was going to outline all of that in chapter five and that was one of the last chapters that I wrote before the book came out just because, you know, I I knew there was no way that by the time I actually got around to it, there's going to be 10 different real life things that would, would affect how I, you know, told that part of the story. Mm -hmm. Um, and even then, since then, it's been almost four years since part one came out. Um, and clearly the Syrian civil war went a completely sort of different, uh, went a completely different way, but it's something that I can't, you know, you just got to roll with well, it, it. This is know. the
1: thing, isn't it? You know, yeah. At the end of the day, as you saying you're creating your own universe and your own characters. Yes. And hopefully that sort of, uh, attracts people enough about getting too, um, yeah. about the real world. It's
2: thing. been, <laughs> it's been interesting in, in researching part two and stuff, you know, we're an all, I'll email a contact in, in DC or something. And I'll have a question for them about, Uh, hezbollah Mm -hmm. you know and i'll sort of briefly go into what the situation in lebanon is and inside hezbollah's leadership in part two Mm -hmm. and i'll say okay this is what i'm thinking of doing does this sound right how would this work out and for a moment there's always this cognitive dissonance where like well okay but in real life this is sort of how it is And i know i i get that's how it is in real life but we're not talking about Mm -hmm. that we're talking about you know how it is in the series and it's a little bit different and getting them to sort of go along with it for a bit can be um tricky at times but it really is sort of just a parallel universe where i think 99 percent of readers wouldn't sometimes hopefully won't be able to tell the difference Mm. between what's real and what's Mm. not i mean i've had people ask me about certain stuff that happens in the book and like oh yeah is that real and i'm like well no it's close to being real but not quite um, and that's probably a good thing yeah. that if you can't tell what's real and what's not. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's always, yeah, I find it quite, uh, I sometimes get a bit of a kick out of it where people don't realize there was something real that you were referring to and then they figure it out later. Mm-hmm. So it's like, yeah, little, little, uh, what do you call them? Uh, Easter eggs. You know. <laughs> uh, oh
2: yeah. There's kind of Easter eggs in this
1: book. Yeah. Cool. So yeah. you've got this new, so you've got a new chapter coming out. Um, what can you tell us about this new chapter?
2: Uh, so this chapter that, uh, it'll be on my website. Um, Uh, That's uh, mattfulton.net. And uh, you go on there and you go up to the active measures drop down menu. You go to part two and you can read a preview. But um, it's the prologue Mm. of the book. Mm. Um, And initially not the prologue I had written. Um, I'd written a different sort of uh, completely different um, chapter for that. Uh, And then as I went advanced into the book, um, and it was right around the same time that I decided to to shift it to a five book series rather than um a pro, rather than a uh, a uh, trilogy. Um, it sort of necessitated me changing things around with the plot, even in the beginnings of part two. Um, and then I decided that there would just be better to tell this part of the story as the prologue. So I went back and um, added that in into the very beginning. Um, but uh, this prologue. Um, follows around a, uh, an Iranian general, his name is Jamal Jafar Taghavi, um, who is also known by the Nam Guerre um, amongst the uh, Iraqis as Abu Mahdi, um, al-Muhandis. And General Tagavi is, um, he's, uh, pretty much the Iranian viceroy, mm. quote unquote, mm. for, uh, so he leads um, the unit of the Quds force that is responsible for sort of managing um, the several dozen uh, Shia militia groups inside Iraq that are sort of collectively known as the Popular Mobilization Forces. Um, and Tagavi, uh, as his sort of with, with whom he shares the sort of same uh, name, uh is based on a real-life um, Iranian. General who was assassinated uh, alongside um, Qasem Soleimani um, at the beginning of the year uh, in real life. Um, but yeah, so the prologue focuses on him. He's the point of view for the chapter. Um, and it follows him leading an Iranian delegation uh, to a um, Shia militia camp inside Iraq. Um, and we sort of pick up with um, – several plot lines that were hinted at and briefly touched on in part one, but we don't see them too much. Mm. Uh, but yeah, we sort of see what uh, the Iranians are up to in Iraq. Um, and we see sort of the breadth of these militias. Um, in the book I say there's about a hundred thousand strong, mm. um, between these several dozen militia groups. And, uh, yeah, we sort of set up a major facet of the plot going forward. That said, I, I wrote the, um, I wrote this prologue for part two that's now out on my website um, specifically for even people who haven't read part one um, and go on and pick it up and enjoy it. I mean, there's certainly things that if if they've read the first book previously, there's stuff that they'll pick up on and appreciate yeah. more so yeah. um, than if they're just going into it blind. But I wrote it specifically with the idea in mind that people could go to the website, read this chapter and sort of have it be their introduction yeah. to the series So hopefully go and pick up part one. Uh, go go there fantastic
1: now um i have to ask i've never written a novel myself but uh, out of interest uh, <laughs> do you have any writing rituals uh d- how do you keep track of everything and is there any particular software you're using for writing
2: yeah um so i i don't really as far as like planning the planning stages i, I don't really outline too heavily no. um at least i don't outline that far uh in advance i mean like i know where the major events are in the book mm-hmm. you know but like I I sort of describe it as like, OK, I know I'm getting to that mountain way over there on the horizon, yeah. but I have to climb this one mountain in front of me until I get up there and sort of see the path to the next mountain yeah. up ahead. Um, and that's sort of how I how I work. Um, It's it's I've never found a good way for me to just outline every single plot point, um, every single thing that happens in every chapter mm-hmm. going up to the end of the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think a big part of my process is a degree of spontaneity, you know, and if I had that sort of bulletproof outline from beginning to end, um, I think I personally would lose interest a bit more as I was writing. I wouldn't, I wouldn't take those sort of spontaneous turns Mm. in the plot. Mm. If I had a plan ahead of me already, Mm. Um, you know, George Martin sort of describes how uh, a lot of writers are like, or architects, or they're gardeners, or they're somewhere in between. Mm-hmm. So, like the architect sort of writer has their blueprints and they know exactly where every nail goes and every board goes before they, you know, even pick up a hammer. Yeah. Um, whereas the gardener sort of goes out one day and they say, okay, I want to plant, you know, tulips here yeah. and daffodils over there. Yeah. And we just see what comes up. That being said, if a gardener goes out and they thought they plant this kind of flower and, I don't know, tomatoes come up, you know, that'll be sort of surprising. Mm. That's not part of the plan. Mm. Um, But they just sort of see where things go. And I'm definitely more towards the gardener frame of a writer. Mm. I rarely outline more than a chapter or two ahead. That said, I I do know where things are going Mm. um, in in broad strokes. Like I know the fate of, of those five protagonists. I know all of their fates already. Um, and have for some time. Yeah. Uh, so we are going somewhere. Um, but I write, uh, the manuscript, I write it in Microsoft word, um, pretty kind of boring and low tech like that. (laughs) It's just sort of the best way that sort of works for me. Um, and then I sort of put everything into this program called Scrivener, um, which I use to sort of format, um, the ebook format, mm. you know. But there's also a lot of different tools inside Scrivener that allows me to sort of keep track of, you know, uh, word count mm. and um, chapter summaries and stuff. So I keep it all in there. Um, and I have a big uh, spreadsheet, uh, like a master spreadsheet for the whole series that um, every time a character appears or is mentioned, um, they go in that spreadsheet. You know, it says like first name, last name, if they have a title or an alias. Um, and you sort of like, relationships with any other like other characters um the book and chapter that they're introduced mm-hmm. the book and chapter that they're first mentioned um i have whether they're currently alive or dead at the place of like where i'm writing and if they've been killed off so far i write the book and chapter where they've been killed um and sort of that really allows me to keep track of um all these characters cuz like i think i said earlier there's up to i think 500 named characters mm-hmm um in the series and i mean so many of them are so minor you know um but uh yeah that's sort of the only way for me to keep track of all these names there's no way i can do it otherwise that sounds totally logical
1: brilliant do you have any favorite films about writing
2: (laughs) favorite films about writing (laughs) oh jeez. um i don't i don't know
1: uh one I love is um, Wonder Boys, and um, the only reason I've kind of thought of it is because um, of writing rituals in that. I don't know if you've seen Wonder Boys or Michael Douglas, have you? No. Oh, it's hilarious. No. So the, he's he's a, a writer who's stuck trying to write his second novel, and his first novel was like a huge success, and then and then like 30 years later he's trying to do the follow-up. And he has this weird ritual of like uh, writing in a pink dressing gown, having to smoke a, a joint. It's hilarious. <laughs> and
2: it's, I can't it's... say. I don't think I've ever written in a pink dressing <laughs> gown. Um, I can't say that. It's sort of like, you know, I sit down, I have my coffee. Uh, maybe something gets done that day. Mm. Maybe it doesn't. Mm. It, it's sometimes very hard for me to get started. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, you know, but once I get going, I'm, I'm pretty fast. Uh, I can write. Yeah. Once I get into a groove in a particular day, I can easily write, you know, 10 plus manuscript pages Mm, in a sitting, mm. but it's, it's sometimes very hard for me to, to sit down and get focused. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with like, like I said before, like the, the, the scale of this plot Mm. and all the little details and moving parts Mm. that we're juggling now in part two. Mm. And it's sometimes that's just, it's, it's kind of, it, it it, it can be, it's, it's very fun at times. Mm. (laughs) Um, And it's I, I I enjoy it definitely um but it 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 can also be daunting yeah well i I
1: don't know if you find this i mean i i I do a lot of writing kind of in my head and all over the place before i sit and write so i kind of mull over stuff and then sometimes i don't know i i I, um my phone gets used a lot the the apple notes app and then i kind of have to copy and paste things or by the time i've copied and pasted over i think actually that's really terrible but (laughs) and it's something better comes along you you know
2: i have um i have uh notes thing Mm. on my phone Mm. as well. Um, that's, uh, just like just random dialogue Mm. ideas, Mm. you know, Mm. that, that I know some characters are definitely going to say this stuff eventually, but I'll think of a line for a certain character and I'll write it down. And there's, there's lines of dialogue I have in that, uh, note that are for characters in, you know, part four and part five. Um, which are you know light years ahead of where I am today. But yeah, as it as it comes to me, I just sort of drive down because <laughs> I will not remember.
1: <laughs> cool. Well, look, Matt, thank you so mm-hmm. much for that. Um, so where can yeah. listeners sort of find out more about you and your work?
2: Best place is on my website. Yeah. So that's uh, MattFulton.net, and uh, you can sort of read a synopsis of part one. Yeah. Uh, there are some sample chapters of part one on there as well, um, and links to go find it on um, Amazon. Yeah um you can order the paperback on amazon uh and um yeah uh sort of best social media for me is probably my twitter which is at fulton matt or Mm f-u-l-t-o-n-m-a-t-t uh that's sort of the best way to sort of track me
1: fantastic well thank you very much for coming on today
2: yeah thank you chris
0: like what we're doing support the show by becoming a dry cleaner cast patreon subscriber today go to patreon.com/drycleanercast for more information about the podcast visit our website at drycleanercast.co.uk thanks for listening